0: Morena and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. It's Tuesday, the 10th of August. Today I want to focus on the Intergovernmental uh, uh, Panel on Climate Change and its first re- report in 13 years, first major report. This is the sixth re- report they've done on what's happening with the science on climate change and including the latest scenarios of what would happen to our climate if we reduced emissions or didn't reduce emissions. And the good news is that the IPCC is saying that if the world was to get to net carbon zero by 2050, and that would require immediate, rapid and large-scale reductions in emissions, If we were to get to that carbon zero by 2050, then we stand a chance of keeping the rise in the world's temperature to around 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. That, of course, is the key threshold. Above that level, climate change becomes um, a potential runaway train that we can't control and uh, would cause immense damage um, and all sorts of grief. However, if we continue on our current track, the various scenarios mean we go well over 2 degrees Celsius, which is seen as the you know, absolute maximum before we have, um, uh, again, um, catastrophic levels of uh, uh, problems in the climate and unfortunately, the uh, high emissions track, which we're currently on, would take us to 5.7 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels by 2100. Remember, there are people being born today who will be alive in 2100. 5.7 degrees Celsius it would um, potentially mean the complete melting of the ice caps, all sorts of um, Feedback loops and tipping points that would see, uh, according to one scenario, the rise in the sea levels of about 65 metres after 2100. So there is a problem there which the world now needs to solve, and this will be part of the key debate at the Glasgow Climate Summit in November. What does it mean for New Zealand? Well, we are one of the biggest laggards, of course, in per capita um, climate emissions, and uh, our emissions have risen significantly since 1990. Many other industrialised countries have actually reduced their emissions. One of the interesting things in the report is that it says that one of the fastest ways to improve our situation is to reduce methane emissions sharply. That, of course, um, is a key thing for New Zealand because we have so many cows and sheep. And this will no doubt become more of a focus of the debate. How do we reduce our emissions from our stock and our agricultural exports? Uh, And it's tough politically for any government to do this. And you can see this obviously in the global picture with many in the um, industrialising world, the third world, saying... Uh, that um, if they're going to reduce poverty and improve um, their position, then uh, they are going to continue increasing emissions and that those countries who are now rich should be the ones that bear the burden of reducing their emissions the most. Uh, The other thing is, you know, even in the industrialising countries, trying to get people to give up things that they uh, have built into their lifestyles is politically very difficult. And... Frankly, in New Zealand, no government from either side of politics has made any significant um, political moves to um, reduce emissions in a way that would be meaningful. To give you an idea of how hard it is, uh, just two small issues, the um, move to impose a rebate um, on Uh, double-cab utes uh, to help improve the number of purchases of electric vehicles, along with talk of um, a second harbour crossing uh, for cyclists and walkers, saw a big backlash, um, Mike Hosking-type backlash over the last two or three months that's reduced the government's poll ratings by about 10 percentage points to uh, an area where potentially you could see a change of government if you, that trajectory of, of dropping in the support for the government continued. So it's really, really hard. And just, a, just a, another example today, Michael Wood, the Transport Minister, is reported to have uh, rejected a call by NZTA Tahi to impose uh, tolling on the new Puhoi to Walkworth Road. So one of the biggest tools that we're likely to have to use to um, reduce our emissions is congestion charging in cities. So effectively, you know, a, a tax on car use on motorways and cities. Uh, and if if you think that's going to be politically easy, then just putting a a toll on the Puhoy to, to Walkworth Road um, shows you how hard it will be. Uh, And that's one of the challenges for the next decade or two, one of them, for any government, is how to um, convince the public, who understand obviously the issues with climate change, but in any public good uh, issue, everyone says yes, but not me and not now. So that will be an issue. Elsewhere in the news today, again, reinforcing our challenges on climate change. We burnt many, many tonnes of coal last night at Huntley after TransPower was forced for the first time in 10 years to announce a supply emergency. There had been a record high surge in demand for power around about 7 o'clock as a lot of people turned on their new heat pumps and heaters. Remember, one of the things we've done is removed a lot of uh, um, wood-burning fires and gas-burning heaters. And moved to electricity. Now, one of one of the ways to reduce our emissions is to use renewable electricity uh, in our cars and the like. So, one of the risks is that in future, if we were successfully able to convert our transport fleet to electricity, you would see a whole bunch of people in the middle of winter drive their cars into their gar- garages around five to six uh, p.m., plug them into the power, walk inside, and turn on their heat pump and that would uh, cause an immense uh, drag on uh, um, demand, uh, an increase in demand and a drag on supply. In the middle of winter, when uh, solar, and uh, if we had a dry winter, uh, our hydro supplies would be difficult. Uh, It does beg the question again about whether or not our electricity market is working properly to provide secure supply and affordable uh, prices. Uh, When, um, for example, the major small uh, independent electricity retailers are pulling out of the market, Luke Blinko from Electric Kiwi made that point again today, and uh, you do wonder with very high wholesale power prices why we are struggling to produce the extra renewable supply to deal with these sorts of uh, demand spikes. And it could be worse, of course. Um, We understand about 165,000 families uh, every winter struggle to pay their power bills and are likely to have not turned on their newly installed heat pumps in their private rentals. So um, this is one of the challenges here. We have um, prided ourselves on having high uh, renewable energy generation, but a good chunk of it, about 13%, is used every day to make aluminium at TY Point, and there's no signs of that changing any time in the next three or four years. And the challenge now will be for the big gen tailors to rock on and start producing a lot of renewable energy from wind farms in particular. Okay, elsewhere in the news, um, uh, overnight uh, that we should keep an eye on, uh, in America, uh, the Democrats have put forward a... A budget for three and a half trillion dollars in new spending, and also some corporate tax increases, uh, which is interesting. And um, aside from the IPCC uh, report, uh, look out in Australia where uh, Byron Bay has gone into lockdown. There are there is more talk from within the New South Wales cabinet of quote learning to live with COVID. And um, just to give you an idea of how these things uh, affect us, uh, in Australia, a uh, pilot who was uh, helping a ship get into a Brisbane port, turned out was infected with COVID, infected that ship. It travelled to New Zealand, to Tauranga uh, last week. Initially, uh, there was no signs that people were infected, but they knew that there had been contact with someone infected in Australia. Uh, After an initial delay, then New Zealand workers, about 90 or so, went onto the ship to start unloading it. And it turned out just 10 of those 90 were actually vaccinated. There is a significant issue. More than 40% of uh, our port workers are yet to be vaccinated. The Prime Minister said yesterday that misinformation, uh, COVID um, uh, vaccination misinformation was responsible for the very low vaccination rates amongst port workers and this means the government has mandated that um, from the end of august government uh, port workers uh, must be vaccinated and from the end of september so that's another six weeks away uh, private port workers will have to be vaccinated meanwhile because the rollout of vaccinations appears to be on track and there is a large number of doses in town uh, from the from Friday, people over the age of fifty. It's me, can um, can re, can call in for their uh, to, can book in for their COVID vaccinations, which is good news. But it just reinforces the risks if Delta was to get out of control in New Zealand. And also, the Prime Minister said yesterday that um, indicated it was very unlikely there's going to be any sort of reopening of the bubble, Trans Tasman bubble, basically until the Australians. Uh, uh, and us are significantly vaccinated. We'll find out on Thursday what that means in Australia. Their thresholds that they're they're using to say whether or not they open up is eighty uh, percent. And interestingly, um, yesterday a new poll out in Australia showing that ten percent of Australians will absolutely refuse to be vaccinated. So there's not much room for error there. That's the dawn chorus on. Tuesday the tenth of August, I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka Kakita no Oh and look out for a fantastic kaka pick in today's storm chorus.